Oh, goodness. Man, you guys have been awesome this weekend. You guys have been, have you had a good weekend? I have. It's been a blast. Hey, uh, do something real quick if you haven't done it yet. Find an adult leader, youth pastor, somebody, and give that guy or that girl a high five, a bear hug, whatever you got to do, just to tell them thanks for getting you here. Even for a weekend event, even for 24 hours, man, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get permission slips signed and everything else. If they're a volunteer, hug them even harder because they gave up a weekend to be here with you guys. They are not sleeping in as comfortable a bed as they would have been otherwise. Okay, so so Jesus came... So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission here on earth, right? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. Man, our mission is to do the same, right? Our mission is to go and to do the same to the ends of the earth and all nations. But right now, specifically right where he has us, to not neglect the small things, to be faithful in the little things. To expand, to extend Jesus' kingdom here on earth. That's our job. That's our mission. That's our calling. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever got a job got some kind of task, you've been tasked to do something, you've been, you, somebody's called on you to do something and you've just not been ready for it. You're just like, ah, I just don't know. I'm not sure I'm the right guy for this kind of thing. Anybody? Anybody ever been there for, the, for this? Okay, so, um, so I, like I, I mentioned this kind of uh, earlier, both of my parents worked at a church um, where I grew up, still work at this church where I, where I grew up. And so I was, like Hudson earlier, I was often voluntold to do things, right? Uh, I was often the one that was setting up chairs and was doing this kind of thing because that's what you did. When your parents are on Salvador Church, that's what you do. You spend a lot of time up there at the church building and you're setting stuff up and you're tearing stuff down and you're doing the things that need to be done. Well, my mom was a children's pastor. And so oftentimes when I was in middle school or I was in high school, she would call on me to help out maybe with a little bit of the children's stuff. She had a great team of volunteers, but occasionally somebody got sick or they needed some extra hands or whatever the case is. And so they'd call me in to do something. So I remember one Sunday morning, my mom called me. I was in, uh, I was in, I think I was a freshman in high school. And my mom called me uh, before we left the church. She was just like, hey, I'm going to need your help this morning, uh, this morning in children's church. So I was just like, ah. Okay. I mean, all right, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. What do you need me to do? And she was like, not, not, not much. I just need you to come in. Um, and, and during the lesson time, I just need you to just to hold some stuff. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll come in and I'll hold some stuff. How can you not find somebody else to hold some stuff? And so I go, and so I go, it's children's church. They did this children's church on a rotation where they did them in like 20 minute, uh, rotation. So it was like 20 minute lesson time, 20 minute, um, like, uh, craft time and 20 minute singing time or something like that. You know what I mean? And they did this kind of rotation with the, with with the children. And so uh, there's three consecutive lesson times, one right after another, right? Because it's on this rotation. And the lesson that morning was on the Garden of Eden. Now, if you're familiar with the Garden of Eden, you know that there's a few key players in the story of the Garden of Eden. Who are the key players in the Garden of Eden? There's Adam, right? There's, there's Eve, right? There's... There's, there's, I, did I hear a dolphin? <laughs> I, 
We are reading different Bibles, but that sounds fantastic. Uh, um, and I heard a serpent. Yes, okay, I heard a serpent. The serpent is, is one of the key players in the story of the Garden of Eden, all right? So I show up to children's church that morning and my mom has had this brilliant idea. She's super creative. She's a blast. She's a wonderful children's pastor and she, and she comes up with these like brilliantly creative lesson plans for kids and everything else. But this time she had this idea where as part of the lesson, she was going to have this guy named Matt come in. And the reason she had Matt come in is because Matt owned a reptile or two. Uh huh. Right. And so he comes in and he has with him like this sack pillowcase kind of thing. And that sack pillowcase kind of thing is moving without anybody moving it. And all of a sudden, I begin to remember why my mom needs me this morning to hold some things. She was weirdly vague about that. And so all morning, my job was to hold Matt's 50-pound boa constrictor, Clark. (laughs) Yeah, its name was Clark. And that's my job. So Matt could stand here and he could, then, then, so they could teach about the, you know, they, they could teach the lesson and then Matt could let the kids ask questions about Clark and Matt could answer the questions without having to hold the 50-pound snake. Because Lane will do that. So I'm standing there and I'm holding this for three class rotations. Now, I don't know if you know much about snakes. I don't. Except for the fact that I hate them. <laughs> snakes are, uh, snakes are not, they don't love to be held for a long time. You know what I mean? And it's a boa constriction. So it's just kind of like constantly wrapping itself around my arms and doing all those things. And 50 pounds is heavy, especially when you're holding it for that long. And so, you know, every, occasionally at the end of a class, you know, I dump it back in the pillowcase for a little while and give my arms a little bit of a break. By the last rotation, the room is full of children, right? It is after all children's church. Their church. And so the room is full of children, and I'm standing there and I'm holding the snake, and the lesson is done. We're at the very end of it. It's the home stretch. Well, I can see the light. We're almost there. We're about to cross the finish line where I can dump Clark back in his pillowcase for the last time. Thank God. And, uh, and they start doing a QA with Matt. And so I'm standing there right next to Matt. Matt's here. I'm here holding Clark. And the kids start asking questions Is it this? Yeah, is it this? Yeah, it's all been the same question until one. Smart kid in the back of the room is like, can you kiss her? Oh. Matt was like, sure, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt's had Clark for a long time. Clark would just kind of like slither around Matt's house. He's a weird guy. But he would just like slither around Matt's house. And so Matt was like, sure. And so Matt has Clark's head and he kisses Clark right on the head. Man, thank God. Thank God we got past that one. That was close. Same kid. Will he kiss you? <laughs> Will somebody shut this kid up, please? I'm, I'm trying to get Clark back in a pillowcase. And so Mark's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Matt's like, yeah, yeah, Clark would Clark kiss me. And so he grabs Clark's head and pulls Clark up. And Clark's tongue is, you know, doing the whole thing. I've never had any desire to get fringed by a snake, but this guy, like, for some reason, this sounds like a good idea to him. 
And so he goes up. Now, what I didn't know is that the tongue flicking thing meant that Clark was actually a little bit irritated. He had been out of his pillowcase for a long time. And even when he's in a pillowcase, I mean, he's in a pillowcase. And so he's having a kind of a tough morning and he's been there for a long time. And so as Matt grabs Clark's head and pulls him up and gets closer and closer and the kiss is almost completed. And then I'm not kidding. And that's what it sounded like when Clark bit Matt's face. And I'm talking about it bit him right here, two fangs on the top of his nose, two bottom fangs under his chin right there. And it hung on like this. It was like the world's scariest ski mask. And it was just hanging on his face. And the kids lost their minds, right? Because it's like, and they're going crazy. And all the volunteers are like, get him out, get him out. You know, and they're trying to get the kids out. And Matt's like trying to, and Matt's grabs Clark and he's like trying to like pull the fangs out of his nose, out of the bridge of his nose. Man, fangs on bone will be a sound I never unhear. And he's pulling it out here, pulling it out here, and he's bleeding down his neck, and he's bleeding out right here, and he's bleeding out of his nose like this. And I'm still just holding some stuff. idea what to do. I was not briefed for this. I was not prepped for this. I've never gone undergone any kind of snake holding training, especially the snake holding training that involves what to do when the snake bites a man's face. And so I'm still holding it because I don't know what to do. I mean, I mean, every ounce of me wants to drop the snake and run out of the room, but then there's 50 pounds of jungle predator hanging from Matt's face and nobody wants that. That's a bad day for everyone. And so I'm still holding it. As the snake is kind of like slewing over to him and it's wrapping around my arms and I don't know what to do. And so I'm panicking and Matt finally gets Clark's face off of his face and he, and he kind of tucks him back into his pillowcase and Matt goes to the hospital and gets all of his necessary treatment. And I have never forgiven my mom ever. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't trained for that. That's not my mission. I wasn't called to that. I mean, I guess I was. My mom gave me a mission. I just did. I was just, hey, listen, I'm not your guy for this kind of thing, right? If any of you have a snake, first of all, get rid of it. Second of all, never ask me ever to do anything with it. I'm not your guy. I was not prepared for this job ever. Sometimes we get jobs that we just don't feel prepared for. Sometimes we get called to do things that we are not ready for. That we don't feel ready for. Anybody ever get a task that you just didn't feel ready for? And it makes you nervous and you sit there and you go, okay, listen, I know what I'm supposed to do. But I just don't know if I actually can. I don't know if I have what it takes Fortunately, you're not alone. We talked about this uh, a little bit earlier this morning when Jesus says you're supposed to go to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. I want to back that up a couple of verses because I think it's actually really interesting. It says this in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. 
some of the 11 apostles doubted. What? Why? What is there to doubt at this point? These are the guys that have been with Jesus. They've seen it. Jesus has now risen from the dead. They've seen Jesus calm storms. They've seen him do miracles, cast out demons. They've seen the power of Jesus break chains. So what is there to possibly doubt now? He was dead. Now he's alive. How are you doubting now? I don't think they're actually doubting that he was who he said he was. I think this is a different kind of doubt. I think this is the kind of doubt that I deal with way too often. And I'll guess some of you do also. As a matter of fact, the word that's used for doubt here, it's actually only used one other time in all of scripture. It's distasso. Say distasso. Okay, it's only used one other time in all of scripture and that's in Matthew 14. You can go there if you want to. It's just a few chapters back from where we are. And here's what it is, okay? So it says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. So here they are in a boat again. Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves and the wind against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus went out to them walking on the water. And that is pretty cool. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. That's awesome. Peter looks at Jesus and Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of anything. It's me. And Peter says, all right, if it's you, then tell me to come out there with you. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter, in this incredible act of faith, got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But then he saw the wind. And he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? That's the one other time this word for doubt is used in scripture. Why did you doubt? Did he doubt who Jesus was? I don't think so. He just declared who Jesus was. He just asked you, if it's you, tell me to come on out. And so Jesus does. Did he not have faith? I think he did. I think he did have faith. I think what we read here is that this kind of doubt isn't a lack of faith. It's just, it's just faith that's insufficient for the task at hand. It's just a faith that says, I don't know that I'm quite able to do that. Now I believe you. I know, I know, I know what you've done, Jesus. I know the kind of things that you've done. I know what your mission is, but now I see the mission that you're giving me and I just, I just don't know. It's not, it's not a doubt that's resistant. It's a doubt that's hesitant. It's a doubt that says, I just don't know if I have what it takes. 
And I think that's a doubt that we find ourselves in this afternoon a lot of times. I know I do. And it's a doubt that we find some of the apostles in 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 Matthew chapter 28. Because these guys are looking down the barrel of the inevitable. They know that Jesus is leaving. They know what his mission was. Now he's leaving. And now theirs is the task of expanding his kingdom on earth. And some of them are worshiping. Some of them are pumped, right? Some of them are just like, yep, let's go. I'm ready. Let's do the thing. It's time. But others of them are just not sure. They're just not sure they got what it takes to go and make disciples, to go home and to be faithful, to do what they need to do, to do what Jesus is calling them to do, to fulfill their mission. Here's what I love about Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that he knows them so much better than they know themselves. Listen, Jesus knows you so much better than you know yourself. He knows every corner of your heart. He knows every shred of doubt. He knows every secret. He knows everything that you carry with you. He knows what you think about before you fall asleep at night. And he knows the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning and all the dreams in between. He knows the things that you're afraid of. He he knows the things that you're passionate about. And he knows them well before you do. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your doubt. And so Jesus looks at them right square in the doubt. And he reminds them once again of who he is. It says, some worshiped and some doubted. And he says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He reassures them. He says, don't forget who I am. Don't forget that all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. Do you know what that makes me? That makes me the king. Don't forget, never forget that I am the king. Don't forget that. You don't have your mission because of you. You have your mission because of the king. You have your mission, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Do you understand that? And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he reassures them, listen, don't forget, don't forget that it was my power that was stronger than the chains. It was my power that calmed the storm. It was my power that's stronger than the demons. That's who I am. I have authority over those things. So never forget, never forget who I am. And because I am who I am, you now need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We have our mission because of who Jesus is. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. But we have this tendency, this thing that we do, where we try to make this all about us. You know? We do. And not in like this braggadocious way. It's actually the opposite of that. We make this all about us because we just do this thing. We're walking around just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not sure I'm smart enough. Or I'm not sure I can speak well enough. Or I'm not sure that I can do this well enough to do this kind of mission. Hey, let me stop you right there. You're not. You're not smart enough. You can't speak well enough. You're not this or that enough. So stop making it about you. 
Because when we make it about ourselves, that's when the doubt begins to creep in. That's when we begin to look at ourselves and because we know ourselves, right? And we look in the mirror and we go, I'm not sure I have what it takes. I'm not sure I can cut it. I'm not sure I can say the right things. I'm not sure I have enough friends. I'm not sure anybody will listen to me. And we make it about us instead of making it about the king. Why do we do that? It was never our power that was able to break the chains. Why, in our, why on earth do we think that we have to have the power to break anybody else's? You don't. You don't have to have the power to break anyone else's chains. So Jesus continues. He says, I have all the authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And just in case you're still afraid, don't be, because here's one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. I will be with you. I will be with you. I'm coming with you. What are you scared of? Knox is my youngest. He's five. And just recently, he's got into this thing. Anybody familiar with Doc McStuffins? Yeah? Okay. I've got a problem with Doc McStuffins. All right? So here's the thing with Doc McStuffins. There's this, per- there's this one particular episode of Doc McStuffins where she is afraid of the dark. And so she's learning not to be afraid of the dark anymore. Well, here's the problem. Is that my boys watched this episode of Doc McStuffins and they learned that they should be afraid of the dark. Before that, they were fine. They had no idea. But all of a sudden, there's this episode and they're like, wait a minute. There's something to be afraid of in the dark? Am I supposed, am I supposed to, dad, am I supposed to be afraid of the dark? Like, no, please don't be afraid of the dark. Well, now Knox is afraid of the dark. And so Knox has this thing where if he needs to go into a room and it's dark, he just doesn't want to do it. He won't do it. He can't handle going in that room. Even though he knows, I can see it. I see the light switch. I'm just like, dude, just go turn on the light. I don't want, I don't want to dead. I don't want, I don't want to dead. Why not? I can see the light switch. I'm going to watch you the entire time. You're tall enough. You're big enough. You can do it. I don't want to, Dad. Dad, will you just, what? Come with me? Dad, will you just please come with me? Will you just, please, Dad, will you just come with me? Over and over and again, just come with me, Dad. And so I do. And so he does. Exactly what he needs to do. What are you afraid of? The king? All authority in heaven and on earth? Is going with you. He promised you that. That's why he ascended. That's why he went up so his spirit could come and his spirit could be in you. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, you have everything that you need to do kingdom work right now. Kingdom work. That's just when we use our gifts, our abilities, our sphere of influence. Everything that we've been given, everything that can be written on our little circles up here. When we take those things and we leverage those things for Jesus' kingdom and not for our kingdom, that's kingdom work. It's really simple. And God is calling every single person in this room to kingdom work. I don't know if you're going to be a teacher someday. I don't know if you're going to sell insurance someday. I don't know if you're going to be a pastor someday. I don't know what you're going to do someday. But what I know is that God is calling every single person in this room without exception to serve his kingdom, to leverage their gifts, their abilities, their sphere of influence for his kingdom, not for your kingdom. That's kingdom work. And by the power of his Holy Spirit in you, you already have everything that you need to do that. Do you know that? You do. Those things that you're passionate about, that you love, guess who put those there? Guess why they're there? So you can use them for his kingdom and not for your own. 
that you're good at math, guess why? So you can figure out how to use that for his kingdom and not for your kingdom. That you're really great at sports, you know why? So you can learn how to leverage that for his kingdom, not for your kingdom. That you're good at making people laugh. That you're good at making friends. Guess why? So you can figure out how to use those things for his kingdom, not for your own kingdom. And that's where you find your mission. And no matter what your mission is, no matter where your mission takes you, you take with you this promise. I don't know where it takes you over there on the map. I was looking at that map earlier. It's amazing. Some of the stuff you guys have written is blows my mind, blows me away. And I don't know what you've written on the map or where you've placed that on the map. I don't know where your mission is going to take you, but I do know this, that it's not going to take you away from this promise of Jesus that says, and I'm going with you. Everywhere you go, I'll be there. You know what? I'm already there. And in my name, and by the power of Christ, the power that breaks chains at work inside you, you can go to all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. That's the power of Christ in you. That's what you go to. Christ's mission is to seek and save the lost. Our mission is to seek and save the lost. And the promise, the thing that holds this all together, the thing that makes this beautiful, is that we don't do that by ourselves, but that Christ always goes with you. When you go from here, you go home. To leverage your gifts, to leverage your abilities, to leverage your sphere of influence for the sake of Jesus' kingdom by the power of the king through you, inside you. That is absolutely beautiful. Will you pray with me? God, I pray this afternoon really, really simply. Really, really simply that we would understand that we are who we are. We are created how we are created for a reason. That we are crafted exactly like you would have us for a reason. Because there are good works that are prepared in advance for us to do. And God, that you have put us where you have put us, that you have created us how you have created us, and then you have equipped us by your spirit to do those good works, to expand your kingdom. God, I pray really simply this afternoon that we would catch that. Just really simply, that we would understand that. That we don't play sports just to play sports. We don't play sports just for scholarships. That we don't study for scholarships. We don't study just to make mom and dad happy or teachers happy. We don't make friends just to have a great life. God, that we do all of these things because this is what you've called us to. And because yours is a kingdom that is bigger than anything else in this world. Thank you, God. Thank you for promising that you go with us. God, when we doubt... When that creeps in, we have, a faith, we have a, this faith that feels insufficient for the task at hand. When we don't think that we're capable, when we don't think that we're good enough, when we don't think that we have what it takes, I pray that you just remind us, just nudge us gently and just say, you know what? You're not, but I am, and I'm the king. And I'm with you always. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for breaking our chains. Thank you for going with us always. Amen.